Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Geek Town Radio. It's episode 93 and this week I have with me... Bex! Hiya! (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Well, given you went on such a rant about it, I I thought, I uh, do you want to explain, just just for people that haven't caught your video? People keep saying I look like Tatiana Mazzani from Orphan Black and I don't and it drove me crazy and I might have had far too much sugar one day and put a video on YouTube <laughs> explaining that I don't look like her which is mostly prompting people to say I do. <laughs> yeah I was gonna say you do a little bit. <laughs> I, I really really don't. Side with me on this. <laughs> no one's taking my side. That's because you do like a little bit. <laughs> As in, I've got like the same number of limbs and brown hair. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's a very favourable comparison. I'm not insulted by the comparison. She's a wonderful, talented, beautiful lady. <laughs> but she doesn't look like me. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> anyway, how are you? What have you been up to? Um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty good. I'm trying to think. Like when last time. I was on all things I must have done since then. Um, I went to an amazing Final Fantasy 15 launch event at Jamie Oliver's 15, where they fed us tasty food, and I got to meet the director, who said I was cute, um, <laughs> and that was all pretty exciting. It was a press-only event, bunch of really interesting people there, and we got to play the game, so that was great fun. Cool. Uh, what else have I done? I, I went to a giant ball pit bar. <laughs> yes, I saw photos of that on your Instagram. Um, what exactly was that? Is it literally that was the just the best £11 I've ever spent? <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically just a giant ball pit. Upstairs, it's like a normal bar, but all the cocktails and things are based on childhood sweets and they have food. And then downstairs, the entire downstairs is 200,000 plastic balls. And <laughs> you basically relive your childhood for a few hours. Really exhausting. <laughs> I, I don't know how childhood me did this kind of thing because I was like we only get two hours and then we were actually in there for two and a half and by the end of it we were just kind of lying there vaguely kind of throwing things at each other <laughs> see that's why parents obviously take their kids to child uh to, to those sort of big ball pit things because it's a great way of tiring them out <laughs> It's a great way of tiring adults out. <laughs> but that was amazing. That's um, up in East London. It's only open till the end of December, I believe. But there's a video on my YouTube about it as well. But that was so fun. <laughs> I, I was quite jealous. I, I did quite like the sound of that. That that could have been really good fun. <laughs> it's just a long way to travel to go to a ball pit, you know. <laughs> 
Well, if, if it works out, maybe they'll start opening more of them. Who knows? I mean, the Crystal Maze did well enough for that to start opening up elsewhere. So yes, that must be uh, getting closer to you now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's, uh, Crystal Maze is in London and they're opening the Manchester one or have opened the Manchester one. I'm not sure yet. I believe they've just opened the Manchester one and it's all different puzzles as well. So I'm kind of tempted to go do that one too. Ah, cool. Yes. So we just need to, they always do that. They're, whenever things kind of expand, they completely skip over the Midlands and, and like do London, then somewhere up north. <laughs> Hopefully they'll get something in Birmingham. That would be very cool. Yeah. May, maybe start just liking everything they put on Facebook until they uh, pay attention. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the way. You, you need to have a go. It is really, really good fun. There's just so much effort put into it. Attention to detail and the like all the staff they've got it's just so immersive it's really really good yeah i do like the sound of that i i'm gonna try and i might try and get to, up to the manchester one that would be good yeah then you could drop into the arcade club as well ah cool yes yeah that would be good other than that mostly staying in and hiding from the weather <laughs> understandable yes yeah watching humans penultimate episode of that was on was on the weekend yes so yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still wish the pace was faster. Yes, it is a bit it, it is a bit slow. It's great, but yeah, I know what you mean. I, I I want a bit more kind of action or just a bit more going on, you know. But uh but yeah, yeah it's, it's great show. It's so well written, it's really well acted and I really love it. I just wish that it was sort of twice the pace because I want to see what happens partly due down to their good writing is I want to see what happens next and they're making me wait and (laughs) I've got the feeling that the next episode is going to be a horribly massive amazing cliffhanger and then I'm going to sulk for like a year (laughs) yeah that could be the case so we'll see but (laughs) what have you been up to well this week tv wise i i've been binge watching my way through vikings which is a is on amazon prime here it's actually made by the history channel in the us and it does eventually make it onto the history channel over here but it, it goes out first on amazon prime and the second half of the fourth season has just landed but i'm horribly behind on it i'm about halfway through season two now because the problem with shows on amazon prime is they come on and you think i'll I'll watch an episode and think oh that was really good and then other stuff will get in the way and you either forget about it or think well it's on amazon prime it's going to be there for a while so i don't need to desperately go and watch it like quickly you know it's not like it's filling up my skybox or anything So I've been uh, slowly sort of, well, I I started off binge watching my way through that because uh, Maud Hurst, who plays Floki's wife Helga on the show, came up for interview and I, I did that yesterday. So I thought I better watch through a few episodes to make sure that I have some idea of what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, I didn't get as far as season four. I know character evolves quite a lot over the series, but uh, managed to kind of get through everything okay. And she was really great to talk to. So that's going to go out in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm really enjoying that series. It's, I don't know whether you've seen any episodes of that, but it's really good. I've seen a bit of it, but the fact it's made by the History Channel and is wildly historically inaccurate made me twitch. <laughs> well, the, uh, I just couldn't quite. Some of the, the basic premises and things that happened just in the first couple of episodes were just so 
Yeah, they're just so historically inaccurate. And the fact it was made by the History Channel and people were then going to think that it's actually based on anything. Just made me not want to watch it on principle, even though I can <laughs> see it's very well made. And I can see why other people like it. Yeah, I mean, it is very well made. I don't know. I mean, it, it's difficult to say how historically accurate it actually is, given that it is based on a legend in the sort of Ragnar is kind of Robin Hood-esque in, in the type of legends, in that it's an amalgamation of a bunch of different actual historical characters. There's there's no hard evidence that Ragnar actually existed. So, you know, but he's in a lot of the legends and he's thought to be a mixture of a bunch of different kings and, you know, lords and stuff. So... Yeah, it's just some of the more sort of basic level of things of how they act within their social groups and how they're running their village and things like that just right yeah it made, made me a bit of a history nerd i think it just made me go that was, isn't how that would have happened they wouldn't have done that they wouldn't have done this um <laughs> that's probably just me <laughs> maybe maybe i i don't know enough about norse history to be able to say categorically whether that's correct one way or another but but uh I've, i'm certainly enjoying it it's brilliantly acted it's uh really interesting the way they put it together it's all shot in ireland as well it's incredible that the the way that they managed to use ireland to look like you know nordic fjordlands is quite astonishing i'm really enjoying that anyway other things that have been out this week uh Guardians of the Galaxy 2 trailer landed. Oh, so good. <laughs> I think yeah. I watched it about three times in a row. <laughs> yes, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I, I'm loving Baby Groot. Yeah, I'm worried Baby Groot is going to become such a thing. It's going to actually drive me crazy. But <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this movie. Everyone in it is just so charismatic. Yeah. The it almost one. doesn't matter what the plot is. Yeah, the first one was so brilliant as well. I fell in love so much with that first one. I think it's probably the favourite of my of the Marvel movies for me. I loved it because it brought people in to watching a comic book-based sci-fi that never would have watched anything like that before. Yeah, absolutely. It's really a bridge-building thing that has brought lots more people into these kind of fandoms and into these kind of areas. And it's also great if you know the comics and you know the other things. It's still a very fun adaptation and it's just, uh, it's just 100% fun. They just don't care about anything apart from it being fun. And it works. Yeah, it does. It really works. Um, they did such a fantastic job with the first one. So I'm I'm well looking forward to that coming back. It looks brilliant. And if you are a fan of Guardians of the Galaxies, there is also a new game coming made by Telltale. The uh, people that have, have done the amazing adaptations of Walking Dead and Batman they've done recently, which is great. Um, you can vote for that on the Geek Town Awards because it's it's nominated for one of the games of the year. But yeah, I, I love those Telltale games. Just fantastic. So I that's going to be very interesting to see what they do with Guardians. Have you seen the trailer for that? I've not. I need to look that up. It doesn't actually give you a huge amount other than saying we are making a Guardians of the Galaxy game. It doesn't give them much more away than that but uh, have you played any other telltale games they're on my list of things to play because they look really good and everyone says such good things about them yes i'm uh, so behind on my gaming so i was saying last time i'm just so behind on my gaming i need to, to do a massive catch-up maybe this hibernating over winter thing is actually <laughs> going to work out quite well for me the telltale games i think you look at the first season of walking dead was absolutely fantastic they did game of thrones as well which was quite good but the batman game that is out at the moment is phenomenal they've done a really good job with that also on gaming last of us 2 was announced as well did you play the first one of that no that's See, i'm 
I've just just absolutely failed at the gaming in the last year. <laughs> it, well, in fairness with Last of Us, uh, if you didn't have a PlayStation, because I think it was a PlayStation exclusive, uh, well worth getting hold of. It's one of those games that's worth getting a PlayStation for if you can afford it. It was worth borrowing a PlayStation for. Yes, worth <laughs> borrowing a PlayStation for. Uh, made by Naughty Dog, the first game follows a a guy and a young girl in a sort of post apocalyptic world after a virus has you know, ripped through and and uh, decimated the population and this picks up a few years after that and whereas in the first game you're playing the guy uh, who thinks called Joel in the second game you're taking control of Ellie the young girl and they are they are still together but um, you are you primarily controlling the girl rather than the guy in this one, and she's sort of nineteen in this game. Uh, voiced by the computer nerd from Blind Spot is the person okay. that voices. I can't think of the actress's name, but uh, and uh, Troy Baker, who's sort of legendary voice actor, who we interviewed a few weeks ago. Actually, uh, Troy Baker is the voice of Joel in it, so it's got an amazing cast behind it, and they're using avatar-esque kind of face capture to get expressions and that sort of stuff and the resolution's massively higher and Naughty Dog always write incredible games so uh, that I'm hugely looking forward to but it's probably not going to land until at least 2018 because they're saying it's in very early development at the moment so but I that that's one definitely to look forward to yeah I'll add it to my ever-growing list I still haven't gotten around to playing We Happy Few which was the one I was raving about a while ago. Yes. Um, I, have I played that one? I can't remember. What was that one? It's the it's it's a sort of indie game which is based in a world where everyone's on group hallucinations. The government oh. prescribes hallucinogenics yeah. and you slip in and out of seeing the world through the, the eyes of, of yes. a sober person and of someone on these prescribed hallucinogenics. It's a post-apocalyptic sort of England, but not... Yes, I remember. Um, uh, yeah, a little I, bit clockwork orange. Yes, I need to go and look that one up because I haven't, I, I, I uh, still haven't gone to see that yet. I'd be my, my main gaming has been Civilization. I'm, I'm yet to get rid of my Civilization habit uh, <laughs> this time around. It'll wear itself out eventually, but I'm, I'm having far too much fun with that game. That and Lego Dimensions, I'm still playing around with. So uh, yeah, those have been my main gaming things. Back on on TV, did you, have you watched the finale of Westworld yet? No, I'm behind. Do not spoil it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Absolutely brilliant. That's all I'll say at the moment. Um, Really, really enjoyed it. What I love about that show is that they don't compromise with anything it's not kind of playing in any way shape or form to sort of lowest common denominator it's very much kind of keep up keep up you know you need to follow the story you need to understand what's going on you know so how would you compare that to humans because it's got a moderately similar topic i think the storyline for westworld is very different to humans um i'm trying to find a way of stepping through this and making sure I don't give anything away. Um, (laughs) I would say the storyline is far more complex. It's far more probably high concept than humans is, I think, in terms of the whole consciousness thing. I I really like the way they, they put that together. And, you know, because obviously you are getting these synths or the hosts are becoming conscious, but it's how they are doing it in Westworld. I think is is 
very clever and interesting and different to how it is in humans. So basically, I just need to go and watch it. Yes, I, I think I think you do. You need to go and watch it. But I, I really loved, I thought the final episode worked brilliantly well. It takes some thought and you need to be concentrating on it. But I, I thought it was really good. Really, really well put together. So, um, yes, go and finish watching that. It's brilliant. They they simulcast the final episode, actually, as well, which was very nice of Sky, One, Sky Atlantic. Um, and one last little thing that, that uh, just popped up on my newsfeed before we uh, started recording. Peter Vaughan, who is the actor best known as Aemon Targaryen, Maester Aemon Targaryen in Game of Thrones, and he was also grouty in the TV show Porridge, passed away apparently at the age of 93. I have to say, the guy looked really good for 93 in Game of Thrones. I would never have put him at that age. But uh, yeah, that was that was announced today. So I'm very, very sad to see him go. But, you know, 93 is not a bad age to get to and still be acting at that age as well, which is phenomenal. Yeah, 2016 has been a, a bit of a year for announcements like this. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of them have been have been proper gut punches. People like Alan Rickman and you know losing David Bowie and that sort of stuff. This this one, I, well, it's very sad that you know he's he has passed away. He did make it to ninety three. That's not a bad run, really. But yeah, it's it's always sad seeing people like this go. I'm just so impressed he was still acting at that age. That's incredible, you know. So yes, I did love him in Game of Thrones. I thought he was great. So, but with that done, let's move on to some actual film and TV news. <laughs> First news story this week is about Mayans MC, which I think we probably mentioned quite a while back, uh, which is the the follow-up to Sons of Anarchy. Now, did you watch Sons of Anarchy? Uh, that's quite far out of my wheelhouse, so I didn't <laughs> watch it. I hear a lot of good things about it, but it's just slightly too far out of my area. You'd be surprised, because I thought the same thing, but it was one of those things that it was on Netflix and kept on getting recommended to me. So I thought, fine, I'll watch an episode, and just adored it. I Really, really good. And yeah, completely not my sort of area either. either. I mean, Sons of Anarchy a show about a, a, an LA biker gang but it, it's so well done and so well put together it's really worth picking up a few episodes and seeing how you you deal with it but really really yeah, sometimes good. shows are just so good that they cross all standard kind of boundaries and genres and things because I got massively into uh, Banshee if you ever watched that yes. which was an absolutely incredible tv series and if I kind of vaguely said the premise of the plot no one would ever watch it or believe i watched it but it's absolutely incredible series so yeah maybe i maybe i need to give this one a try because i do keep hearing good things i have to say if you liked banshee i definitely would give sons of anarchy a try because they are very similar in tone i would say but yeah it's well worth watching it's a fantastic show so there's i think there were five seasons five or six seasons of of the original sons of anarchy kirk sutter who is the person person behind Santa Anarchy originally said that he was talking about doing a prequel which was based around the sort of founding of the Sons of Anarchy biker gang and then he landed on doing a spin-off sort of sequel series which is called Mayans NC which follows the Mayan biker gang who were sort of frenemies of the, of the Sons of Anarchy you know um, they, they occasionally ended up teaming up together they occasionally went to war so uh, but the 
new show follows a character called e- Easy Rees, who is a prospect for the uh, Mines MC Charter on the border of California and Mexico. The storyline says he's struggling with his desire for vengeance against a local cartel and his need for the women in his life to respect him. It's following on directly after the end of Sons of Anarchy. So, well, I don't know how directly after, but it, it's following on after the events of Sons of Anarchy. So it's, um, yeah, I won't say what happens in that because you haven't seen it so just in case you're going to go watch it but it it does continue the story basically from that uh so there's it's entirely possible you might get a few of the sons of anarchy gang popping up at, at various points throughout it um although i think this is set slightly further away from from where they were Kirk Sutter is set to direct the show's been written and co-produced by uh writer director and ex gang member Elgin James. Uh, the collaboration came about because Sutter said he wanted to find a strong, unique Latino voice because he didn't think a white guy from Jersey should be writing about Latin, Latino culture and traditions. So that's why he brought Elgin in. It's only a pilot at the moment that it's got a pilot order for. It's set to be shot in uh, March next year with, I suspect, a series will follow in the autumn assuming it gets picked up but i think there's a very strong chance that will get picked up given what a huge show sense of anarchy was for fx in the u.s so um it seems like quite a good way to approach it as well instead of just trying to draw out their original sons of anarchy on and on and on and sort of going beyond the the reach of that story they've closed that one off started a new thing something that they can dip and out of the original characters or follow a completely new voice and i think that's a really intelligent way of going about extending that the world they've built. Yeah, I think I think so. And the the nice thing about this is although it is another biker gang, it is very much from a different perspective. It's in a slightly different area. You are having the Latino and sort of Mexican stuff influence it. So there is more stuff with cartels and that sort of thing, which they covered a bit in the, in the Sons of Anarchy series, but not totally. It was far more California based. So, uh, yeah, that that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Um, as I say, it's only a pilot that they're shooting at the moment. That's coming in March and then hopefully a full series in the autumn. So there's that. Next up, we have a TV series based on Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles is apparently in development by Anne Rice herself. Uh, she posted a message on her Facebook saying that the rights to the TV series had uh, reverted back to us, so they're now looking to develop a new TD adaptation. Have you read any of the Vampire Chronicle books? I've not really read much of Anne Rice's stuff, but obviously, you know, I, I know the films and I've actually read some manga based on some of the books. Really? Um, I've sort of done everything apart from her actual books. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say. But I do think that this is, could be an interesting one because we've got some, this coming along and possibly, you know, the Lost Boys TV series. Yeah. Vampires are coming back. Yeah, they seem to be. They, they're just, just when you thought that you managed to, to kill them off, the vampires rise again, as they have a tendency to do. So, um, And they're not glittery this time. No, thank God for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, millennials. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Anne Rice, for those of you that don't know the original Vampire Chronicles, uh, the original book's from 1976 Interview with a Vampire was written. They, of course, made a movie out of it starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. And Anne Rice really objected to Tom Cruise originally being cast because she, it's not at all. She saw Lestat as this sort of six foot tall kind of Nordic 
looking guy. And then they cast Tom Cruise in the role and she was not happy. But uh, all credit to him, she completely reversed her opinion of it once she actually saw the uh, finished product. So, you know, whatever you say about Tom Cruise, he's he's fairly dedicated to his, his roles. And he did do a brilliant job in that part as Lestat. So yeah, I mean, it, she's basically she's she's taking a the books, the original books from 1976, and planning a TV series that uh, looks at the storyline of Lestat, Louis, Armand, Marius, and everybody else that was that were characters in that in that series. They're, you know, they're not short of material to work with and of course with it being 1976 a lot of the stuff that you see in vampire culture these days um you know from lost boys to vampire diaries to all those sort of shows a lot of that is based off stuff that was written by Anne rice it's surprisingly large amount of it you know i mean she wasn't by any means the first person to ever write a vampire story but a lot of the stuff that she you definitely think of- helped bring these things much more mainstream an interview with a vampire was watched by a lot more people than would normally watch something in that area yeah absolutely you know it really popularized it a lot of the tropes that are in place when you think of of stuff that happens in you know angel or buffy or or yeah as i say vampire diaries shows like that a lot of the stuff that they get in terms of the law behind the vampires comes from those Anne rice novels um and stuff that she set up there so certainly it, some of the things to do with the vampires not necessarily being happy with their own situation or longing to be human or making connections with humans. And yeah. I, I think that she was quite seminal in bringing that as a main kind of ongoing theme. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that came out when, I remember when the film originally came out, when the, when Interview with the Vampire was released, lots of people complained that Brad Pitt's character, Louis, was incredibly dour and moany about the fact that he'd been turned into a vampire. And the thing is, they, they put that as a fault of the film, but in actual fact, it's absolutely true to the to the adaptation in the book. There were times in the book where you wanted to reach into the pages and slap Louis because he was he's such a miserable character throughout the whole thing because he's he's basically he's turned against his will by Lestat and he does nothing for the next like three hundred years but complain about it. <laughs> so um, when you've got forever, you can uh, equally moan for longer. Than- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not like he's running out of time to complain about his situation. No, no, I, I but he, he does get to a point where you're like, oh, for it's been so long, Louis, leave it alone, let it go. <laughs> you know, so the ultimate emo god. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, at the moment there are yeah there are twelve books in the series. There's a thirteen just been released um, at the end of November called Prince Lestat and the Realm of Atlantis. I mean, I do really like the idea of her bringing a Vampire Chronicles series to TV because it's her actually behind it. So it's going to be her vision of it, uh, which I, and she's writing it with a son as well, who's also a writer. So, I, yeah, I think that's definitely going to be one to watch out for. 
it should be uh, really, really interesting that. I mean, it's only in development at the moment. It's only, I don't think she's actually got a production company or a, you know, like, like a TV company behind it yet. So it's still up for offers. But I mean, if that lands on, I don't know, Sky Atlantic, HBO, somewhere like that, it will be an interesting one for Sky Atlantic to get hold of as a UK production. I wonder if they might sort of go for it like that or if it ends up on HBO in the US would be uh, interesting as well. But it needs to be on one of those sort of networks, I feel. Be an interesting one. I'd, I'd be, be When they start releasing kind of dates for these kind of things, I'm going to want to know if this is going to come out around the same kind of time as the as any yeah. other vampire things, because it's going to become a bit of a war, I think, of who's going to be the new who's yeah. going to be the new vampire TV series. Yeah, well, I, I mean, this is further back in development than the Lost Boys series, I think, because the Lost Boys series is attached to the CW. So... I suspect that will come out first, but this could be quite a lot darker because the CW series is going to be lots of pretty people being vampires because uh, it's, it's the CW, um, which is fine, you know, but this is, is your kind of Game of Thrones area level of, I mean, that's what they're sort of pitching it as is Game of Thrones with vampires. So yeah. I'm sold. Yeah. I, yeah. So have I. I, I really like the sound of that. Moving on, having mentioned CW, they're developing a new romantic comedy where the the difference is that one half of the couple in the romantic comedy is a sentient computer program. Uh, it's called Real Love. It's from uh, Stephanie Leader, who is the writer of Faking It. Uh, Michael Weatherly from Bull and NCIS uh, has a production company who are the people behind it. The idea is that it centers on a brilliant female computer programmer who writes code for the perfect boyfriend, but unexpectedly falls for a creation when he becomes self-aware. Thoughts? <laughs> I think this sounds awful, but I'm ready to be proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the thing is, it's basically the plot of weird science. It uh, could be. Yeah, it's it's the if, plot. If of- it is weird science, but gender swapped, then maybe. If it's anything else, then I may just hit my head repetitively into a wall. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's it's all going to come down to the writing. It yes. could go wildly either way. It's either going to be really good or it's going to be horrifically bad. I don't see any middle ground. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the first of the sort of sentient computer androidy programs for for the CW, which you know, obviously Westworld and humans, as we were talking about earlier, have, have become huge hits. So you know, it's a hot thing right now. It, it actually doesn't say whether the sentient computer program actually does end up in an android type body, but I'm kind of assuming it does because you know it's the CW and you're gonna want it in some sort of hard-bodied hunky kind of guy I suspect you know oh, he's probably gonna start singing at some point it's all gonna go wrong yeah probably so yeah I mean it it, it does sound very much like weird science the uh, 1985 John Hughes movie but with the genders swapped the other way around um I I, I don't know. Um, Stephanie Lader's worked on Faking It. She was on Melissa and Joey, Men at Work and Victorious, none of which of shows I've ever watched. So I, I don't know. I really don't know. As you say, it comes down to the writing. It could go either way. Um, so with that done, let's move on to an interview. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This week's interview is with Seth Reed, who was the production designer for the first season of Supergirl and was also the production designer behind The Expanse. He's worked on a bunch of different films as well. He worked on I Heart Hookbees, he worked on Real Steel and Minority Report, which we talked to him about quite a lot as well, because I love that film. He's highly esteemed by his peers. He's been Emmy nominated for Cosmos, a space-time odyssey, which was starring Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't know that you saw any of those. It looked interesting. Another thing that's on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Cosmos was, uh, I think Carl Sagan did the original series and then um, Neil deGrasse Tyson did this new version, but it was beautifully put together. Really, really nice show. He's currently working on uh, Shut Eye which premieres December 7th on Hulu in the US. It's not got a UK pickup yet. Stars Burn notices Jeffrey Donovan as this failed magician called Charlie Haverford, who now works as a psychic. Um, so I uh, don't know any more about it than that, but uh, yeah, that, so we talk a little bit about that. But I mean, the majority of stuff that we talk about is, of course, Supergirl and The Expanse, which is just epic epic tv show i know you're a huge fan of that yes absolutely so here's the interview with seth we will see you afterwards with some air dates hey seth hi there how you doing great how are you doing i'm very well thank you you want to talk a bit about your your work as a production designer i would love to let's start off with a little bit of background how did you get into production design because i if if it's anything like everybody else i've talked to that have been involved in production design nobody ever plans to do it and then they suddenly end up doing it that's exactly right it's i think uh it's really addictive like once you get in it and you sort of get a taste of how fun it is, it's hard to let go. But <laughs> I was completely like sort of suckered into it. I was an architect and I had my own business and business was slowing down a little. And a friend of mine that was an architect, I knew her as an architect, said, hey, do you want to come work on a film? Right. And I, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really know exactly what that meant, but I was like, sure, I got a little time. I'll try that. And the film was Tombstone. <laughs> and um, I just got totally hooked. Yeah. Wow. That's that's sort of jumping in with both feet to film like Tombstone as well. <laughs> yeah, very much. I mean, it was for a very, very exciting first project. And because it was non-union, maybe the last of the sort of bigger right, non-union okay. films in it was in Arizona. Yeah. I was able to really be heavily involved in a lot of the um of the project right off the bat. And I used all my architecture and construction skills, both to draw and design, but also to sort of get out and, and, and build. I was actually out there helping yeah. build stuff. Wow. So it's very fun. That's yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> the fact that you're actually out and building things is, is kind of awesome. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sort of distorted a little bit my understanding because later I realized as I, I became more involved that you can't always go do that. Like you have to sort of, everybody has sort of their job role that they're supposed to do. But at first I thought I could just do anything and I didn't even understand what I was not allowed to do. So yeah. I was having the best time. 
out in the <laughs> desert in Tucson. <laughs> That's very cool. So yeah. uh, since doing that, you've worked on a uh, number of other things, films. You worked on Jonah Hex, on Real Steel, on Minority Report, which is an amazing movie, uh, Blades of Glory, and um, more recently in TV, Supergirl being one of the ones you've yes. worked on. So Supergirl and uh, we'll come to on, come to some of the others in a minute. But let's start there. How did you get involved with Supergirl? Well, I got involved with Supergirl essentially because, and I hate to say it this way, but the production designer on the job was not doing so great. Right. And they got, I got one of those kind of phone calls, sort of like, could you start on a job on Monday? And I, and I was like, well, what is it? And then they told me. And I basically just dropped right into that in the middle of episode, I don't know, what was it, three or four? Somewhere right in there, somewhere in episode four, I dropped into it. So I I came flying in, flying in, (laughs) and then... Um, we found that we had, there were a lot of, uh, a number of, of big sets that had been built, but it was a very, very fast paced show Yeah, with requiring a lot of ingenuity and imagination. Yeah. So that's yeah. how I got started. Yeah. I mean, they, they have some huge sets. I mean, you've got the, uh, the DEO set, which is, um, they've actually replaced for the new season. I, I, I'm assuming you're not working on it now. It's moved up to. Yeah. They asked me about it, but I was already on a show called shut eye and ironically it was in vancouver so i couldn't leave shut eye so i (laughs) I had to stay where i was Uh, but i know they changed the deo yeah they changed the deo set but i i'm guessing that's probably because if it was such an enormous set they didn't want to move it all the way up (laughs) but uh, yes they've kept things like the apartment and uh the catco offices are all still there so you know all that sort of stuff so uh, as you joined after some of the initial stuff had been started, what are some of the things that you were responsible for bringing to the screen? Well, every episode had a a nice story arc of sort of good versus evil, uh, bringing in a new bad, bad character, a new, maybe it's an alien, maybe it's just uh, Max Lord sort of being a little bit nasty. Yeah. Whatever it was, we introduced new aspects of the characters. So whether it was a containment cell to hold all the bad aliens or bad people, and we had a beautiful room to work in, but we had to design this containment cell, which actually came out amazingly well, or a new office for Max Lord. They weren't happy with his office. Right. Uh, We were continually creating new environments for Max Lord. We never wanted anyone to feel like he had just one place. Right. Uh, to operate in. So uh, I would say that every episode, more than half of the environments that we were seeing people in, we created. Some of them we built and some of them were locations. Right. Okay. You were building those sort of environments. You you had some interesting characters as well on the show, sort of throughout your run. uh, There was Red Tornado was on during that run as well. Um, Right. And uh, the the reveal of Martian Manhunter was on your run as well. Was was oh, yes. on your run very much? Yeah. Do you know whether there was any talk of using a like physical makeup for Martian Manhunter because he's a digitized character, isn't he? Yeah. We. Um, I mean, we went back and forth. I only heard some of the conversations about that because everybody was having so many meetings, just trying to get themselves in order and and be on time for everything. 
Um, but I would say that once they saw Red Tornado and they sort of worked as hard as they did on Red Tornado, they just sort of felt like maybe we should try a digital version, especially because John Jones had to do a lot of flying, a lot of moving around. Yeah. And and a lot of transforming. And we even had points where we were thinking we would have him transform from a digital version to a practical version in front of us. And I think they just moved away from that. They found it easier to just have him be digital. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I found that kind of interesting because I did wonder whether that was the route they'd sort of thought about and, and doing the digital transformation and then moving into a physical makeup. But I guess if the digital character is working so well and they've done it on a number of those DC shows, they seem to do so well with those digital stuff. Yeah, I was surprised they didn't go down the digital route with Red Tornado as well. Uh, but Yes, I think they were still working things out at that point. Yeah, yeah. Because that that would have seemed like an obvious character to do it, but yeah, I mean it's it's a great show. Uh, we we've just uh, started the second season over here. I think we're a couple of episodes in, so I'm really uh-huh. enjoying that. I love the fact that they have callbacks to things out of out of the the other movies and out of the other TV shows, like the the Red Kryptonite scene where she's flicking things at the bar and. That sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which is a call, call right. back out in the movie, you know, uh, and bringing in old uh, the sort of old DC actors like Dean Kane and and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's so well put together. But uh, yeah, the sets are brilliant. Um, that must have been a heck of a job moving everything north, you know, for them. Yes, I'm sure it was, and but it was also an opportunity, I'm sure, for them. Um, the DEO is different and it was maybe time for a change. Yeah. There's some, like you say, some of the, her home bases, like her apartment, it's great to keep those consistent, but it's nice to change some of the other things. Yeah. Did you have a particular favorite thing that you created for that show? Uh, I would say the Fortress of Solitude was probably our favorite. Yeah. Uh, we really loved working on that. It was a great collaboration with the visual effects people as well as with our, our um, cinematographers. And um, we, we actually repurposed an earlier set in order to create it. But then we went so far afield once we, uh, well, once we got going, you would never know it was the same set repurposed. Right. So we, and we, we did everything. We work digitally. All, all of our work is digital. So we prepared um, drawings for all, all the crystals that you see were all cut, um, some of them digitally, uh, so that they could fit exactly in the margins that we wanted them to fit. And they were all designed to move around and wow. uh, be very flexible in how we shot that set. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, on a show like Supergirl, you are dealing very much with a lot of uh, special effects as well as the practical sets, but there are a lot of special effects, particularly with, you know, when you're creating sets like that, you've got to have a lot of VX backgrounds and that sort of thing. Yeah, it tied in beautifully with a beautiful match shot of them coming into uh, the fortress and sort of seeing how huge it was and how long it was. And then from there, we cut into the practical aspect of the set and we designed it so that most of the time they would be, once they cut away from that shot, they would be in a practical area and they could just shoot away yeah. except for the robot. That was the only yes. part. Yeah, yeah. 
No, it's it's great. I think they've captured it so well, and I'm glad they're all together now. And you know, they can do more stuff. I know it means you're not working on it now, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad they've managed to put it all together. And and you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the crossovers and the musical episode that's supposed to be coming next season as well. Should be fun. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I've every now and then I check back and see how they're doing, just to sort of see how things have grown and changed yeah yeah so it looks like you're doing great were you a fan of comic books before you got a job of that um i'm a fan of sci-fi okay and that's where i really they really brought me in because uh they needed someone that was in 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 touch with sci-fi so andrew so that's how i got in is andrew brought me in yeah yeah that makes sense so yes speaking of sci-fi the other huge show you've been on fairly recently the expanse yes sir which i'm about halfway through season one because it, it literally landed on netflix i think last week over here i just saw that yes so, <laughs> yes so yeah it's it's only just arrived over here uh, and i'm really enjoying it it's uh be described as as sort of one of the most epic shows that they've produced and game of thrones in space is another one i've seen for it which i think is fairly apt so it's really interesting it must be a fascinating show to work on because you're dealing with three kind of major factions you've got the earth mars and the belters so yes how did you approach uh designing stuff for each of those different areas well we first of all we wanted to create a distinct environment in each uh, location so anything that is mars let's say is going to have some associations with red and orange and sort of a color scheme that goes all the way into their graphic and their logo yeah uh, and it's certainly you can see it in episode three and four with the way they're dressed in their armor. It sort of matches also a little bit of their mentality. So we wanted to give them this slightly more stern and polished kind of look. Uh, whereas Earth was still, as it is now, a hodgepodge of color, full of life, a lot of blue. We know that people on Earth are the only of the three societies are the only ones that could be sort of out in the open air yeah. and free in the environment. So everything is sort of more open. And then the, essentially series, uh, the Belters are living essentially underground in, a, in sort of a reverse environment in a place where mankind has actually created gravity. So their world has more shadow and more darkness. It has artificial light, and we're uh, and depending on where we are in that world, it may go a little bit more like Earth, or it may be more dark and and shadowy. Yeah, because you've got you've almost got the sort of admin areas of of that, which seem kind of you know, which have, have yes. got all the trees and that sort of stuff. Yes, we got it. One thing I one thing I did want to ask you is, um, <laughs> if, have you ever played a game called Mass Effect? No, because there there is a certain stylistic similarity between uh, the two things. I just wondered whether that had ever been an influence but apparently not if you no not at all no. where the where we came from with the influence is start you you mentioned game of thrones so the part of game of thrones that relates to the expanse is that the authors were very scholarly and they really know their subject which in this case i would say is science yeah. So where we came from is a science based sort of almost literal sci fi show. Yeah. So we're doing things that you don't normally see. Spaceships don't fly along sort of horizontal with people just standing up in them. Yeah. yeah. Spaceships 
fly with people pressed to the bottom of the spaceship when the rockets fire. So they, they stand vertical. Yeah. And everything that we did was like that. Yeah. Now, I don't know if mass effect is that way, but we really went off of all of this. Yeah, I, I, my, my guess is they sort of that you both started in the same sort of scientific approach and sort of ended right. up in similar kind of areas in places. I, th- I think that's possibly why I've seen some comparison to it. But it's, um, it's very true with the ships and and that sort of stuff. I love the way they they do that, and you know, it's not all smooth and not all kind of Star Trekky. You know, <laughs> that's correct. I mean. In our our whole theme, our whole design criteria was that in space, a ship has mass and it's big. It's still something that is difficult to push, but it doesn't need to be aerodynamic. Yeah. So it it may have a, a symmetrical shape because that allows it to be pushed more evenly. Yeah. But um you can still have something that is long and tall, like a skyscraper is essentially what you're doing. We're, we're basically flying skyscrapers. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's how we would think of it. And, and everything that we did from the Donager to the Anubis to the Rossi, they were all designed that way. They're all sort of symmetrical, essentially symmetrical bundles of tubes and, and, and architecture. Yeah. That that must be a like childhood dream for a. For it was so fun. I can't even tell you. <laughs> I have sketch after sketch and all kinds of stuff, and it's, it was really really great. Yeah, I mean, there, there's it's a really interesting looking show, and you know, great story, well put together. But it's it, I, I just love the look of it because you kind of almost when they show a shot, you instantly know which bit they're in. So you know, it, that works yes. really really well, and. But you're getting over the problem of things like um, having to deal with zero gravity as well on that show. Yes. That- the, the, yeah, we acknowledge that, that zero gravity is a part of the future yeah. if we're going to travel in space. So instead of ignoring it as in a more traditional sci-fi show and sort of thinking that some magical invention has come along to nullify this issue – we're living with it. So when the engines are on or when the the planet is spinning or whatever it is, you have gravity. And then when they're off, you don't. And yeah. what we know is that people can, they can actually live that way. It, it can be done. So we, we, it was just interesting. And, and this is all through the writers. They just sort of, one of them is practically a scientist. He's so knowledgeable that he really would just come in and say, so look, this has to function in a certain way and here's how it should be. So right off the bat, I was like in exactly a a wonderful environment to design based on science. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, you also have the fact that they, there's a a scene quite early on where they, they take one of is it one of the Martians or somebody that had grown up on the belt and bringing them back to earth and literally just being on earth is a form of torture because of the, because of the gravity difference, because they weren't born there, which I, you don't think of, but I thought that was, that was a fascinating kind of use of, of it. Yes. I mean, we don't think of gravity as being something on earth because it's just everywhere. And 
second you're not on Earth is when all of a sudden gravity becomes a very special feature. Yeah, it's really beautifully put together. And as I say, I'm halfway through the first season because we've only just started it over here. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. It's really good. There's another season of that coming as well, isn't there? Yes, there's another season which so regrettably I could not be a part of because <laughs> no. what happens is I'm always working and then I can't leave a show. Once I'm on a show, I can't leave it. So I was on Supergirl. Yeah, yeah. And they called, you know, can you come back to Toronto? But the art director that we had on the show before and many of the crew were still there. So you'll see a lot of the designs carried through. Right. And of course, permanent sets like the Rossi are always going to be there or Tycho is going to be there. Whatever it is that they need will be there. Yeah, that's good. You want some sort of continuity. It must be slightly difficult when you come onto a show and, you know, like like what you did with Supergirl or whoever is taking over from, from you when there is a style set in a certain extent already because yes. you get slightly less free reign with, with stuff. So you're, you're trying yes. to find ways of putting a mark on it following that's something. Correct. Yeah. That's correct. That's what I loved about The Expanse. It was just this great opportunity to define an entire, I guess, solar system because yeah. we have all these different worlds and we set a style that will be there. And they they loved it. They were so happy and everything went so well. We had such a great team. The DP was fantastic. The directors were great. Everybody really meshed on that show. Yeah, it's a great show and I'm looking forward to seeing some more of it. One of the show that I wanted to talk to you about was Cosmos, uh-huh. which uh, did air over here uh, yeah, last year or whenever it was that it came out. And uh, I, I absolutely adored that show. I I don't think I ever saw the original, but um, the I, I loved the, the new version. Where did the idea for the Ship of Imagination come from? Well, in the original show, um, Carl Sagan had a ship of the imagination and it was given a sort of a more abstract kind of feel. In other words, he was in a room kind of, and it had like a magic kind of like box area. And if he came over to that magic box, sort of things would transport us to wherever we needed. So that idea propelled into the new ship of the imagination, which then um, Ryan Church designed a beautiful exterior of a spaceship that looks like this really dreamy looking surfboard flying board. And we took it and we did the interior, which was sort of an extension of the spaceship with the ability to see out, but also to do some of the things that the original Carl Sagan, uh, 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 Sodi, had, which is you could go over and look and see the future or the past. We defined it a little more clearly because you could look up and you could see the future and you could look down and you could see the past. And so, and we, and with the use of visual effects, we were actually able to pull, what we did is we set the floor up so you could pull the floor out and there would be this beautiful green screen. And we actually were able to to do in a certain practical aspect a lot of the parts that became the the, the visual effects part. That's very cool. You had um, things like the cosmic calendar on there as well, which was a really yes. nice, uh, really nice yes. touch. The halls of extinction, the library of Alexandria as well, which is really spectacular. Oh, oh my gosh! To get the opportunity to do some of these things, it practically makes me want to cry just thinking about it. 
to, I've always been a student of history as an architect. Yeah. I always, my dream was always to be an archeologist architect and go and go to Knossos or to ancient Egypt and find archeology span and then basically recreate it. Yeah. And this is an opportunity to do it. All of a sudden I'm in a position with a scientist and a motivated group of people around me to figure out what the library of Alexandria was, have the best researchers help to figure that out and then to actually design it. <laughs> to actually say, okay, let's, let's, let's build this. It may be virtual, yeah, yeah. but by the time we were done, Neil was walking all through that space. Yeah. Just amazing piece of work. And the fact that it's based off actual historical stuff as well is, is just oh, incredible. Completely. Yeah. Everything in there is to the best that we could understand historically. It was a, a brilliantly put together series um, and so fascinating. I love the little animated sequences that they put in throughout it as well. I thought they were absolutely beautiful. So, yeah, I, 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 it's a shame they don't do more of that because I thought it was brilliant. I'd like well, to see more of it. Keep your fingers crossed and hold your breath. It's coming. <laughs> I, yes, I would love to see a bit more of that. So, yeah, if you the, the one other thing, of course, um, you were an art director on uh, Minority Report as well, yes. which was mm -hmm. just an incredible movie and fascinating in the way that how much of that sort of stuff has started to seep into real life with people kind of, you know, particularly the screen stuff of people throwing things around and that sort of thing is <laughs> You know, has started to turn up, you know, more and more. So, I, you know, what what was your involvement on on that project? That I was involved at the beginning. I was involved in the office designing like some of the various sets. So I worked on the car factory. I worked on some of the exteriors when we went to Washington D.C. and in Virginia, the house for the uh the psychic people yeah, 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 yeah. i had a yeah. lot of various design assignments that i was given i was also sort of like the the resident recorder of everything so i went on every scout i took video and then i edited the video and basically was there in the meetings to present what we saw right so okay. and then i from there because I'm very practical minded and I know a lot about how things should look on set from when I worked on from the earth to the moon, I was on set all the time. Yeah. So Alex McDowell wanted me to be on set, which is not something we do so much in America, but we certainly do it in the UK. Right. So Alex said, like, I want an art director on set at all times with Steven. And that was me. Right. So I was involved every single thing that you see on set. If something wasn't right, if an adjustment needed to be made, if I, I knew that conceptually there was something that Alex wanted to be a certain way, I was there to make sure it was set up. It's a, a pretty awesome gig to get, I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, to be on set every day with Janusz Kaminski and Steven Spielberg and all of these ultra, ultra talented people it was, I mean, something that probably will never happen again. I mean, you, yeah. you just don't get to do that as an art director. <laughs> so I, I was creative involved and, and Stephen would say, is this the right thing for such and such? Is this the right architecture or where should, where do you think we should stage this? I, that was a great honor. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't quite ready you know, I wasn't fully mature as an art director yet, but it was, a, it was a great place to be. Yeah. 
No, I, what an amazing opportunity. Amazing. So yeah, I learned so much. Yeah, about making on that one. <laughs> you, uh, Steven Spielberg's actually been near my home, t- my uh, town recently because I'm I'm just slightly north of Birmingham in the UK, and he's shooting Ready Player One literally in Birmingham. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> so yes, there's been lots of footage of like from miles away, of uh-huh. <laughs> little Steven Spielberg at the end of a street. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so a uh, few final questions. Uh, what was the show you're saying you're working on at the moment? Right now, um, I, well, I finished Shut Eye uh, and that I, we finished that in, in August, middle yeah. of middle to late August. That'll be coming out in December. And now uh, I'm working on a show called The Long Road Home which is for National Geographic and FX. Okay. And the quality, it, it's the same group of people that made Cosmos. It's an extremely high quality show, which I'm not sure how much I can talk about it, but it's about Iraq uh, and all that happened in the Iraq war. Okay, cool. It's the Martha Raddatz book. That's, I can tell you that. Okay, is it a drama as well? If it's extreme drama, right? Okay, and very, very dramatic and all very literal, which is my genre. Okay, interesting. And uh, FX and natural Na- National Geographic, you say, are the partners? Yes, sir. It? Yep. Well, that's interesting. Oh, they've just done that Mars thing, haven't they? So, or do, National Geographic's just in the Mars thing. So that's correct. So, yes, and this is that same level of very high standards. National Geographic is producing amazing, wonderful material right now. Yeah, I haven't seen the Mars thing yet. I'm looking forward to it, but the uh, that does sound really interesting. So I'll have to keep an eye out for that. A lot of those sort of things tend to land over here when they're through National Geographic because they tend to run them internationally. So that'll be one to watch out for. So a couple of final questions. Mm-hmm. Because we cover a lot of TV shows on the website, the two things that we always ask people are, firstly, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Oh, that's so interesting. What TV shows? Are, well, I have a tendency to watch uh, something several episodes of it and then move on <laughs> so once in a while i'll binge completely and i'll watch all of daredevil right or i might watch a good part of jessica jones before i'll walk away uh, lately my son my 16 year old is um binge watching lost so <laughs> like last night was three episodes out of season five yeah it's sort of all over the map <laughs> And uh, I love the night manager. Yeah, that was one of my favorites. Great, great um, for this the uh, the scale and the scope of that show and uh, the locations that they shot. And I know the amount of visual effects that they needed to use. I, I love that show. It's a fantastic show. That I'd be interesting to see if they do something else. I know they can't exactly do a sequel. I guess, but it yeah, whether they carry on that in some way i i'd be interested to see if you had the opportunity to work on any show past present or future which show would it be uh that is a very good question i would say that i would have wanted to work on one of the big sci-fi movies if i could possibly have done it Right. So that's where I, I would have wanted to go. I love sci-fi and I would probably be wanting to work on The Martian or something like that. Right. OK. Less interstellar, but more The Martian. Right. Is what I would say. OK. Yeah. So the sort of realistic sci-fi. Yes. 
stuff. Yes. Yes. So the expanse really was a good <laughs> fit for you. <laughs> yes, it really was. And I, I have my eye out for the next expanse yeah. opportunity <laughs> or who knows, maybe season three, I'll be back there. Yeah, maybe, maybe that'd be good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming on and, and uh, spending a bit of time. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I look forward to seeing some of your new stuff coming out as well. Thank you too, Dave. My pleasure. Cheers. Bye. Bye bye. So that was the interview with Seth if you want to catch up with Supergirl, it's airing Monday nights on Sky One. Uh, the Expanse, you can find the whole of the first season on uh, Netflix right now, and the second season should be coming on, I think, next year. Not sure where you can find Cosmos and Space Odyssey. I'm sure it's kicking around somewhere if you're on some of the streaming services if you go and look for it but that's well worth watching as well so that was the interview with seth we shall give you some air dates now air dates this week uh, no cancellations we've got a couple of renewals marvel's luke cage being renewed for a second season not surprising no not at all. Although, having said that it's been renewed, we probably won't see it until 2018 because they're doing Iron Fist, which we know is coming next. Then we believe it's The Defenders, then a Punisher series. So that'll be three seasons for next year. And it's the first time they'll have done three in one year. So I, there's no way I see them pushing in a fourth. Then you've got a Daredevil season three, Jessica Jones season two to come, and now Luke Cage season two. So yeah, it's going to be at least um, 2018, possibly even 2019 before you see it. It's a bit of a wait. <laughs> Zed Nation gets fourth season renewal as well, which is a really fun show. And again, something else I need to go back to, but it, it's, a, it's a kind of much funner version of Walking Dead, basically. A funner version of Walking Dead. <laughs> That's, a, that's an interesting description for any TV show. Yes. Um, so lo lots of zombies. Um, the whole attitude of the show is it's more comedy drama than it is straight, like, heavy drama. You won't find somebody like Negan bashing people's skulls in, uh, you, you know, but you've it's still really well put together. It's a great, great little show. Runs on pick over here. So uh, I'm really happy to see that coming back for the full season. Um, we interviewed Keith Allen, who is the uh, who plays the uh, Murphy, one of the lead characters. We interviewed him a few weeks back on the podcast. And he was absolutely lovely. A really great interview. So if you're a fan of Z Nation, or Z Nation, as they call it over there. Go back and listen to the interview with Murphy because he was really, really good. Changes we've got. So these are alterations that have happened over the past sort of week. Midsummer Murders, if you're into that, season 19 coming to ITV on the 18th of December at 8pm. Have to say, I don't think after 19 seasons, still never seen an episode of it. I just don't know how they've got any cast members left. Yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, Middle England and in the sort of countryside is a really dangerous place to live. It is. I mean, there must be like one person left in the village by now. Yeah, absolutely. It, it should be a big massive twist where it turns out the guy investigating the murders is actually a serial killer and has been killing everyone off and setting <laughs> everyone else up as the patsies. And that's why he's now the only person left after 19 seasons. That would be a brilliant way to end it. <laughs> Um, Christmas specials. There are, are, are so many Christmas specials this year. A ridiculous amount that um, 
I actually put together a, a list rather than adding them all to the standard air date list. Uh, if you go to geektown.co.uk forward slash Christmas, you can get a list of all the Christmas specials that are coming out this year. But I've highlighted a few of them because we thought they were kind of in, of interest. Uh, Robot Wars has got a Christmas special this year, randomly. Uh, As to, you do. Yeah, it's in two parts. Uh, first, Nothing more festive than killing robots. Yeah, exactly. First part is on the 28th of December at 8pm and then the second part is on the 29th at 8pm uh, I think one of them's a celebrity version I'm assuming they haven't built their own robots I'm assuming they're just driving other people's but yeah so that's kind of interesting there's a new season of that coming in the summer but uh, there's a Christmas special coming on the 28th so uh, Robot Wars so worth watching out for Sensate has also got a Christmas special. I don't know whether you did you see this show? I saw some of it. The pace was incredibly slow and yes. I had a few issues with it, but I have been meaning to go back to it. I'm not quite sure in what sense it needs a Christmas special. That no. sounds a bit bizarre, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. It has it's got a new series coming as well, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's, so I think uh, it's it, it's another one to add to this ever growing list. I keep mentioning. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Bizarre pick for a Christmas special, but you know, uh, there's a, a, a one-off Christmas special two-hour episode coming on the 23rd of December of Sensate on Netflix. If something says that it's going to be on Netflix on the on a particular date, what they mean is 8 a.m. on that particular date because it's based off the US California time. So it's sort of midnight in California on that date, which means it's 8 a.m. over here. I mean, I, I watched the first series, really enjoyed it, uh, it. But yeah, it's a very odd show to have a Christmas special for. It's been renewed for a second season, which is apparently coming on the 5th of May next year as well, we've been told. But uh, yes, Christmas special for Sensate on the 28th of December at 8am. Uh, Yonderland has got a Christmas special, which is coming on Christmas Eve at uh, 6.30. Have you caught any of Yonderland? I love that show. <laughs> Not really, but the next one on the list is uh, quite of interest to me. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, yeah, Yonderland, Christmas Eve at 6.30 on Sky One. Next one, Charlie Brooker's 2016 Wipe, which is on BBC Two on the 29th of December at 9pm. I mean, that that strap yourself in, that's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> So much has happened this year, and that is the man to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to be really, really good, I suspect. So either that or it's going to be him sat in a corner just rocking backwards and forwards, crying for an hour. But <laughs> I think it can be both simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly, yes. So... Um, Charlie Brooker's 2016 wipe, BBC Two, Thursday, 29th of December at 9pm. Sherlock is coming on for its fourth season on the 1st of January, they announced. I don't think we've got an actual time for it yet, but 1st of January that lands, so uh, that's Sherlock back. Obviously looking forward to that, although slightly disappointed with the last full season, but we'll see, see if they're back on form again. Black Sails' final season of that lands on the 30th of January on Amazon Prime. Again, that's another one I watched a few episodes of and thought, oh, that's quite good. And then because it's on Amazon Prime, I completely forgot about it and haven't gone back to it yet. But you don't do pirate dramas. Uh, not most of the time. I also don't have Amazon Prime. Oh, OK. Yes, that doesn't help. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a slight barrier to entry of watching that one. Yes, Amazon Prime's well worth getting. He's he's got some fantastic shows on it. Then we also had announced literally an hour before we started recording Legion season one of that, which is the new. Basically, it's a Marvel show, but not directly connected to the other Marvel TV shows that are on air. It's, if it's connected to anything, it's going to be connected to the X-Men because he's, he's an X-Men character, I believe, Legion. But that's coming to Fox UK on the 9th of February at 9pm. That's one day after the US because it goes out on the 8th in the US. And then it's coming to Fox UK on the 9th. So, uh, yes, they're running that very, very close to the US air date. But uh, that sounds like it could be quite good fun. Yeah, that's an interesting one because he's not that well-known character. He's uh, Professor Charles Xavier's son. Yes. And he's incredibly powerful and, yeah, he's... He's a very, very unusual character, and I was quite surprised to hear that people were going to pick that one up. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Quite intrigued as to how they're going to actually adapt that one for screen. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I think that one. And uh, there's, there's trailers up for it, so you can go and have a look. There's a post up on the website for it, so go and have a look. But um, yes, he's basically uh, the, the character diagnosed schizophrenic, but discovers that the voices that are his hearing and the vision that he's seeing may not be all in his head. Obviously, he's as we know from the comic books, he's son of Charles Xavier, which means that he has a certain amount of psychic powers. So, yeah, he's a very intriguing character to pick for a TV series, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, Legion Season 1 coming to Fox, 9th of February at 9pm. Next week on TV, we have This Is Us, which starts on Channel 4 on 6th of December at 9pm. I really don't quite grasp exactly what the show is about, other than it was some people born on the same day as each other starring a drama, which is uh, Milo Ventimiglia, Mandy Moore, Sterling K. Brown, Chrissy Mitz, Justin Harley, a.k.a. Green Arrow from Smallville, and a uh, few other people. It got huge ratings in the US, and he's sort of almost guaranteed it's going to get renewed. I haven't watched it. I don't know much more about it than that, other than it's been a smash hit over there. So I'm intrigued by this show because I, I don't see why it's so popular. <laughs> I've seen the trailers for it, but again, it doesn't really give much away. It looks very much like it's exploring the human condition through random people that are unconnected, as you say, apart from being born on the same day. Um, I'm assuming it's just incredibly well written and acted. I Well, yeah. I, I would assume so. Um, it's a bit of a mystery, that one. Yeah. I, so I, I'm sort of intrigued to see it, just to see what all the fuss is about. Other stuff coming up this week. I mean, it, it's rare for TV shows to actually launch in December, apart from this year. Netflix have obviously decided there is a big gap in the market for shows launching in December. So rest of the shows on the list are all Netflix shows. You've got Fuller House Season 2, which is landing on December 9th on Netflix. There's a show called White Rabbit Project, which if you were... Uh, we're a fan of Mythbusters is worth watching out for on Netflix. That's coming on the 9th of December. It's basically everybody from Mythbusters apart from uh, the two main guys and doing the same sort of things that they were doing on Mythbusters. It's them looking at sort of things from pop culture and science and history and creating wacky experiments around them and blowing things up and that sort of stuff. So that it looks, looks quite fun. I always wish I was on that show rather than watching it, though, with these kind of Mythbusters and other <laughs> things like that. 
<laughs> you just like blowing things up. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, yes, who doesn't? Uh, then also on the 9th, they've got a bit nuts on the 9th. Uh, also on the 9th, they've got Medici Masters of Florence, which is a drama from Franz Botnicks, who is the guy that uh, created Man in the High Castle, which... If you've not got numbers in Prime Account, it's definitely a show you're missing out on. It's based around the Medici banking dynasty set in the 15th century. Stars Dufton Hoffman, Richard Madden, and uh, Stuart Martin. Given that you've got Dustin Hoffman in there and Frank Spotnik's behind it, I think that's definitely a one to watch. Could be very, very interesting because Man in the High Castle was a brilliant, brilliant show. So I would definitely advise going to watch that. That's uh, Medici Masters of Florence coming to Netflix on the 9th of December. And then lastly, we've got uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency coming on the 11th of December to Netflix. Uh, stars Samuel Barnett and Elijah Wood, made by BBC America. It's an adaptation of the Dublin's Adams story. We've mentioned this a number of times before. I don't know, have you seen anything of this? I've not seen anything about the adaptation, but I like the idea of more Douglas Adams stuff coming to TV. And I think BBC America is a good choice to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, there's been a few sniffy remarks about the fact that it's it's sort of Americanized it somewhat. But I, I don't know. I, I think... I, I'm going to wait and see and see how well it's, it's doing and what they've actually done with it. But I like Elijah Wood. He tends to pick interesting projects to do after The Hobbit. I mean, he did the, uh, what was the TV series he did with the, the man dressed in the dog suit? I can't remember what it was called, but that was absolutely brilliant. It called Woof or something. I don't know if you ever saw that one, but that was superb. We'll have to see because I mean, BBC America was connected to Orphan Black, which I adore, and yes, I've I've got a reasonable amount of faith in them because it just tends to be the BBC, but with more money. No, absolutely. So, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Just be glad you're on the other side of the screen. I can't get at you, um, <laughs> but I I think I want to see a trailer for this before I make my mind up on it because Netflix hasn't done us wrong that much. BBC America hasn't done us wrong. No, no. So um, I think there is a trailer kicking around for it. It's it's actually gone out in the US already. So it, it is out there. And then Netflix picked up the worldwide broadcast rights. And it's rare that they make bad pickups. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, 11th of December for Dirt Gently on Netflix UK. Uh, that's everything for this week unless you'd like to plug anything else <laughs> um, no but if you want to see me throwing balls at people in a giant ball pit there's video on my Trista Bites YouTube channel um, <laughs> I've also just finished editing one uh, interviewing Dr Jeff who writes the amazing fetish man comedy comic books which will go up soon as well so that's a good laugh got to interview him at MCM Comic Con cool alright so yeah th- things happening which is all good fun yes yes that's, it sounds good fun uh, Trista to bites his bites with a Y as well. So uh, you yes, can go because f- I am that geeky. It's a <laughs> so you can go find her YouTube channel for that. For us, uh, if you want to get in touch, you can email us on podcast at geektown.uk. You can leave a message on the website post. You can find us at geektown on Twitter or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown or on Instagram at geektown UK. That's everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 